Have you ever walked past the dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> yeah, so these are rich. This is for Thanksgiving, this dish. This is for my mom. She, this smells good. She what is this again? Mashed potatoes. <laughs> Plain old mashed potatoes. They don't smell like this when we make them. Now, that's a good thing. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and... Kevin. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 51, Martha Stewart. Not totally a garbage person, but not perfect. <laughs> not, not a garbage person? More like... Garbage-ish. A little... Trash can. A little trash can. <laughs> yeah, she's a trash can person. Because there's definitely some things about her that aren't as they seem. And I know... They're not all good things. Yes, which is her catchphrase, which... And that's a good and thing. That's not such a good thing. Well, I, so Kevin, I've heard that insider trading isn't a good thing. Well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> Well, yeah, the stockbrokers and shit and people on Wall Street, probably. It's a good thing for them. <laughs> it's a very good thing for them. It's good until you get caught. I don't understand insider trading because, like, if you hire, like, a stockbroker to manage your whatever, right? Don't they have to get... I mean, don't... I... Are, if you know anything about, like, a business happening and you talk about it, is that, like, illegal? Like, I don't understand. So... So stockbrokers, to my understanding, they kind of... They kind of skirt that line, don't they? It's a slippery slope, yeah. Yeah. But if you have knowledge, like... That um, nobody else has. Yeah, so say, like, we'll take some modern current events. Uh, so, like, the vaccine companies trying to make up this COVID vaccine. Like, if you know for a fact that a company's going to tank? Yeah, so... They can put out a report saying, like, they have their vaccine is going to be 95% effective. And you work for the company, and there's some new information that just came out. That only you know. You only know that. And it's like some, there's like some super negative side effects. And you sold all your stocks. And you tipped off some people saying, shit's about to hit the fan. Sell your shit because the company's going to die. So both you get in trouble and the people that you tipped off get in trouble. If you get caught. Yeah, but it just seems like everybody does it. And that's why one of the reasons I wanted to look into the Martha Stewart case is because it seems like it's something that rich people do all the time. And she kind of took the the hit, you know? Yeah, well, rich people do do it all the time. And that's how they get rich. Yeah, but, like, why did Martha Stewart get in trouble for it, you know? You'll, you'll see through the case that I, that I share with you today that she didn't totally get nabbed for the, the insider trading necessarily. And so that's what we'll talk about. Life is all about taking advantage of situations, right? Survival of the fittest. I mean, if you want to boil it down to, like, that. But, um, 
Yeah, you know, things get going, and sometimes when corruption's out of control, they need a scapegoat, and to, like, put a, a, a public front, like, oh, we're gonna tackle this corruption, uh, and so someone like yeah, it's like Moth, an easy Martha example. Stewart maybe is a little looser than she should have been with covering her tracks, and so she's the fall guy, and so it gives, it makes the public think that the government is Cracking doing down. something to take care of this yeah. corruption when they're the most corrupt fucking thing in the world. And you were also telling me about some like historic, like so insider examples. trading. Obviously, yeah. is not a new thing. Okay, here's an example: Nathan Rothschild. Yeah, we've to, heard of them. To go way back in the way back machine, the Battle of Waterloo with Napoleon and stuff. So Nathan Rothschild gets information that Napoleon lost the Battle of Waterloo. Waterloo. Mm-hmm. So he gets this information that he lost. He goes to England and... And this is information that wasn't known. He gets the information like a day before... It's released It's going to be publicly okay, known that Napoleon lost Waterloo. So he hauls ass to England and publicly tells everyone that Napoleon won. Uh-huh. And so... So he sells, I think he sells or he buys or whatever, whatever. I think he sells. So, uh, and then the next, so the next day, basically, when that information comes out that Napoleon lost, the uh, British Stock Exchange fucking collapses. Crashes. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's able to buy up. So he buys it for pennies. He basically buys it for nothing and then becomes a zillionaire. So, like, insider trading has the ability to basically manipulate the stock market, obviously. Absolutely. So that's why it's that's why it's illegal, technically, right. is that if you have insider information that no one else has, you have the ability to manipulate stocks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the Rothschilds also did that same sort of deal. In the United um, States, right? Yeah, with World War II and World War One, Some similar things happened. Where they kind of, like, release information... That might false be like information false information to, to make, manipulate, yeah, to and manipulate. then buy up the yeah. pe the stocks that plummet because people think one thing, but it's actually another. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know we talk about like old money versus new money. Like that old money, man, they're gonna have that money forever. You know, it's that kind of money where it's like I own the stock exchange kind of money, right? Yeah, I own money. I own all of money, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it doesn't even at at that when you get to that point, it's, it's not, not even, even illegal about it? money. It's about power. Yeah, and that's kind of where you know we are right now with this whole Great Reset. I don't know if you people have heard about that New World Order shit. No one believes it's real, but it's fucking real. They're talking about it. Well, obviously, some people think it's real if they're talking about it. Well, the people who run the world, they write papers about it. That's what this COVID thing is. It's like a front mm. for the fucking Great reset hmm. so they're gonna reset and uh, i don't know if you've heard about klaus schwab uh he's talking about he's one of these illuminati motherfuckers uh he's talking about the fourth industrial revolution this will go down a, a rabbit hole we don't really need to touch on this too much but um, <laughs> we're gonna get back to martha in just a second basically the fourth industrial revolution is where everyone's working from home everyone's basically permanent lockdown and there's basically no jobs you're dependent on 
the government government stimulus kind of checks, the UBI. And if you don't go along with what they want you to go along with, like, you know, staying locked down, wearing masks, blah, 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 everything, it's going to be a digital currency at this point. And if you are a dissenter, they could just push a button and all of your money hmm. is gone. But that's a topic for another day. And another podcast, <laughs> not this one <laughs> yet, at least. So I know we we dabble in conspiracy theories a bit, and I don't know if you know the, you know it's it's not proven yet. We'll see. I mean, the future's a little bleak at this point, but we're we're forging ahead. So, also, the same kind of thing happened with nine eleven. Like, um, oh yeah, the guy that owns, and that's why a lot of people think it was an inside job because it was an opportunity to capitalize on fucking something horrendous. Right. There is like uh, one of these. Uh, companies that worked inside one of those buildings and their employees got a call saying don't come into work wow and like someone like the guy that owned one of the buildings or whatever basically did some insurance thing insured his building and his yeah insured everything and so when they fell down he made a shit ton of money so that's kind of like insider trading too yeah. In a different kind of way. So it's basically like insider trading is when you have private knowledge that isn't public yet that allows you to basically manipulate the stock market and or cash in on some fucking lots of money because you've got knowledge and you can manipulate it. Right. Well, according to HG.org, insider trading is something like this. They say... The first thing that you should know, which might surprise you, is that not all insider trading is illegal. The illegal variety of insider trading occurs when a securities transaction, like a purchase of sale of stocks or something like that, is influenced by knowledge that only a small group of people inside of the company whose stocks are being traded would know about. This obviously gives the insider trader an unfair advantage that allows them to profit from information about a potential up or down tick in that company's trading value before the others know about it in the market. Mm -hmm. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, is a government agency responsible for monitoring these kinds of transactions. It has adopted rules regarding insider trading that define it as any securities transaction made when a person involved in the trade has non-public material information and uses this information to violate his or her duty to maintain the confidentiality of such knowledge by using it for financial gain. Insider information is, quote, material if its release would affect a company's stock price. For example... The announcement of a tender offer, a pending merger, a positive earnings report, or the pending release of a new product, etc. A person is defined as an insider if they have a relationship with a business that makes them privy to information that has yet to be released to the public. Insiders are expected to maintain a a fiduciary relationship with their companies and shareholders in trying to profit from insider information puts the insider's interests above those of the entities who they owe this duty. So fiduciary is defined as of or relating to a duty of acting in good faith with regard to the interests of another. So it's a fine line. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Who's going to look over the corruption? The corrupt government. Perfect. So, sometimes people outside of a company can run afoul of these laws using information obtained from those on the inside to seek profit, even if the insider does not directly profit. In these situations, there is a, quote, tipper and a, quote, tippy. The power bottom and the power top. <laughs> okay. The tipper, or the power top, is a person who has broken his or her fiduciary duty by intentionally revealing confidential information to outsiders. The tippy, the bottom, is the person who knowingly uses that confidential information to make a trade for purposes of turning a profit or avoiding a financial loss. So it goes either way. If you know your shit's going to tank, you sell it. And then you don't lose all your money. it's such again, fine line of like, how do you know when it's insider information or if it's information that like a friend of you just like, oh, hey, I heard that you should buy this stock because it's going to be going public next week or something, you know? Like, it's so hard to know. Well, so if it's public knowledge, then everybody's going to like either sell or buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could also put out false information like Nathan Rothschild did mm -hmm. to influence it so everyone would either buy and you sell and then So are you an insider trader at that point? Inside trader at that point if you're giving fake information out there? Or are you just trying to – or you're just chaos? I guess if you have knowledge of what is actually true. I don't know. It's, it it's, a, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, in this thing from HD.org, um, they don't say if the information has to be factual. Mm. So they also say if you know someone who is gauged in insider trading, mm -hmm. it's a very serious situation requiring legal assistance. An insider. Are they encouraging you to snitch? Yeah. Okay. Basically, they're saying snitch on these bitches which we don't do here at the true crime dumpster because snitches get stitches correct and that is Unless, not like, insider murder, information then, then you have to really you have to snitch it depends who they murder okay anyways yeah so there you go insider trading bad okay unless so you're in the government Let's talk about Martha now. So most of the information I got was from biography.com, her own website, which is like the about me section. It's an article called the Martha Stewart story, how I became a household name, which conveniently does not have anything about her prison in there, uh, her prison stint. And then I read an article about Martha Stewart's daughter, Alexis Stewart, as well as another like gossip column on like Martha Stewart being a shitty wife. I I don't have that as an official source because I won't talk about it too too much. It's it starts to get really gossipy with celebrities. Like ooh, I heard you know. So I don't want to indulge in too much of that. But yeah, purportedly she is a shit wife. Not a good thing. And then a history.com website on her release from prison. So let's talk about her early life and education. Martha Stewart was actually born Martha Costera on August 3rd, 1941 in New Jersey, uh, specifically Nutley, New Jersey. She is the second of six children and grew up in a working class neighborhood near New York City. From the age of 13 on, she appeared in fashion shows and magazines and advertisements, both television and print. She was a model? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, she definitely was a model before she was, like, a homemaker. Um, I mean, she was, like, kind of pretty. 
Like she was kind of kind of basic looking, but her last you know. name makes it look like she's like Czech or something. She probably is. I mean, she's very blonde, you know, and very like Nordic, like well, Nordic or like Slavic looking. So she attended Barnard College in Manhattan, which I believe used to be an all girls school. I actually had a student go there. It's a really really good liberal arts college, and it's private. And I believe, yeah, I always thought it was in upstate New York, but apparently it's in Manhattan. And she earned a degree in European and architectural history in 1962. And while she was there, she met her future husband, Andy Stewart, which is where she gets her last name from. And at the time, he was a Yale law student, and the two married in 1961. That means she was very young. She was like 19 or 20 years old when they got married. Six years after they got married... They celebrated the birth of their daughter, Alexis, who well, I'll talk about her in a little bit. She's pretty funny. She's kind of like a comedian these days, I believe. And Martha went on to be a stockbroker for the firm of Monis, Williams, and Seidel. She worked on Wall Street until 1972, so about a solid decade. Wow. Uh, when the family moved to Westport, Connecticut. So, like... Even though she's got, like, this kind of artish degree and she's a model, she's really smart because she worked on Wall Street, which working on Wall Street in the 60s for a woman, I'm sure, was fairly uncommon. So she was kind of, like, breaking the glass ceiling in, in that sense of just, you know, not doing, you know, she was more than just a stay-at-home mom. And that's probably one of the reasons she was able to grow her brand like she did. You know, yeah. she's she's got experience. She had the inside scoop on the first pantsuits. That's <laughs> true. So, yeah, like I was saying, she apparently, and this is gossipy, so I don't, there's not like evidence to support it. She apparently maybe cheated on her husband, maybe a lot, but they were married for 26 years. Like, maybe a lot. Well, so it's like a lot of this stuff was like from Star Online and, you know, like a lot of like gossipy magazines, but apparently she like wasn't the best wife in the world. And I think when they were like on their honeymoon or they were in Europe or something, and again, I'm just like remembering off the top of my head, her husband wanted to go to bed and she wanted to hang out with this like handsome European man that they met at dinner. And like she apparently like hung out with him all night and he was convinced that she had cheated on him. And she said she didn't. And to this day, she said she didn't. But like that will always kind of hung in the back of his mind that like she was maybe stepping out on him because also she was living in you know, I don't know what he was doing, but he, he obviously was a lawyer of some time. I didn't find out too much information on him. But, I mean, if he's a high-power attorney and she's like this high-power Wall Street, you know, exec to some degree, you can kind of see how maybe, you know, their lifestyles made them kind of drift apart a bit. And so there would be maybe that question mark in the air for him about her infidelities, if you will. So Alexis, like I was saying, she is like 50-something now because Martha's like 70-something now. She's in her late 70s. But Alexis is or was a radio show host for a really long time, a comedy radio show host. She used to be on the Martha Stewart channel of Sirius XM. And she also had a show where she would kind of make fun of her mom. It was called Whatever, and then I think when she added herself onto, like, Martha Stewart's network or the Hallmark network or one of those, I think Martha Stewart and Hallmark are, like, friends, but it was called, like, Whatever Martha, <laughs> and they would, like, I watched one, a segment of one episode where they would just get segments of the Martha Stewart living show, 
and like make fun of the things that her mom was doing. And she was really eye rolly with her mom. And I think for a long time they were kind of estranged. And I think it had a lot to do with her kind of dissing her mom a lot. But at the same time, um, I've also heard that when Martha did eventually did go to prison, that they rekindled their friendship, which is why Alexis's stuff was on like Martha Stewart networks and stuff, because she kind of like learned like, oh, my daughter's a comedian. She's not, you know, she's not being totally truthful. She's embellishing things for comedic effect. But I did watch a segment of a Martha Stewart show where she kind of addresses some of the things that her daughter wrote about in a book called Whatever Land with her co-host, Jennifer Hutt. And this is a quote from Alexis. If I didn't do something perfectly, I had to do it again. I grew up with a glue gun pointed at my head. She wrote this and many other things about her mother in her memoir, Whatever Land, Learning to Live Here. So Martha Stewart actually kind of rebuttaled that saying glue guns weren't even around when oh, Alexis snap. when Alexis was growing up. So she's like, I didn't start using glue guns. Fact check. She's like, I didn't start using glue guns until I wrote my book on Christmas. <laughs> so I couldn't have had a glue gun pointed to her head. I bet having Martha Stewart as a mom was probably not the funnest. It wasn't a good thing. <laughs> I don't think so. She also said You'd think that someone as talented in the kitchen as Martha would be serving gourmet meals every night, but instead, Alexis wrote the opposite was true during her own childhood. There was never anything to eat at my house, she wrote. Other people had food. I had no food. There were ingredients, but no prepared food of any kind. Well, they say you can catch a man a fish and he, he, could, he can eat for a day. Yeah. Martha Stewart kind of came back at her funnily because she's actually really funny. I actually really like Martha Stewart. She came back at Alexis saying like, well, yeah, there was lots of great ingredients in the fridge because I wanted you to learn how to make shit. Like I, yeah, I wasn't going to. You put the ingredients together and it magically becomes food. But also like both parents were working hardcore. So I, I would imagine that elect there wasn't like a lot of prepared food in the house, you know, is that Martha was either on Wall Street or making her brand, and Alexis's father was a lawyer. So, what about the servants? I don't know if they had any growing up, so we'll see. She also said that, and I'm sure Mar Martha Stewart did not comment on this part of the book, but she also said that she was appalled by Martha leaving the bathroom door open when she did her business. And she said, Mom always peed with the door open. I remember saying, You know, now I have friends over, you can't do that anymore, it's got to stop. My friend's parents don't do it. Give me a break here. I don't feel like being embarrassed. It's exhausting. I'm a kid. Stop. So she was just basically saying that like this, you know, professional entertainer, cook, um, mom extraordinaire wasn't exactly like the picture perfect mom at home. But at, at the same time, I kind of was expecting that, you know. Sounds like she's always performing to me. Yeah. So after the Stewarts restored their 19th century farmhouse they bought, Stewart decided to focus her energy on gourmet cooking by reading Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. She started a catering business in the late 70s, and soon she became known for her gourmet menus and unique creative presentations. And within a decade, Martha Stewart Incorporated had grown into a $1 million business serving a number of corporate and celebrity clients. Stewart expanded into the world of publishing with her first book called Entertaining, which became a bestseller, and she followed it up with other books such as Martha Stewart's Quick Cook Menus, Martha Stewart's Hors d'oeuvres, 
Martha Stewart's Christmas, and Martha Stewart's Wedding Planner. Her newfound fame took its toll on her personal life, and by 1990, her and Andy Andrew Stewart divorced after a very difficult three-year separation. In 1991, Martha Stewart, Inc. became Martha Stewart Living, Omnimedia Incorporated, with the release of her magazine called Martha Stewart Living. Her lifestyle empire grew into multiple magazines, many, many recipe publications, a popular cable television show. I mean, I watched it growing up. She had a show on PBS, too. Like, she was, like, PBS. She was both, like, nonprofit and for-profit. Like, she did everything. I remember her being on Sesame Street, too. Yep. Mighty, too. She also had a syndicated newspaper column, tons of how-to books, a radio show, an internet site, and, oh, yeah, $763 million worth of annual retail sales. I mean, some of the sheets that we have, our flannel sheets, they're Martha Stewart. She had a deal with Kmart, maybe think it was after her prison stint. Right, yeah. Where, like, it was fairly, I remember, I mean, I got them from Ross because I'm cheap. Martha Stewart Living, right? Yeah, that was her brand, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia. It was like a billion-dollar corporation in its in its peak. But, like, even just getting a set of flannel sheets, which are the highest quality sheets I think we own, they were probably like 100 bucks. Like, they were really nice. You're so, welcome, Martha. <laughs> I mean, I got them at Ross for like 20 but, you know. So... A couple fast facts. I thought this one was, or just one, I guess just one fast fact. Hurry up, or get ready, it's going to be quick. Martha Stewart Living TV, the show, it launched in 1993, and by the time it ended, which I'm not sure when it ended, it won 18 Emmys. Isn't that crazy? That is fucking insane. I know, 18 Emmy Awards during its run. Housewives need to get a life. I mean, I think it was, I think it won a lot for like camera work and maybe like production quality and stuff. I don't know what exactly it won for, but yeah. Now we're going to get into the scandal, okay? All right. So in December of 2001, Stewart sold almost 4,000 shares of a company called I'm Clone, I M C L O N E Systems, which was headed by her friend Samuel Waxel. Waxel. Waxel, wax, waxel, wax. <laughs> you're, you're, you're nailing it. You're nailing this. it. Waxel, which was a biopharmaceutical company that specialized in creating oncology medication, specifically a drug called Herbitux. The day after she sold her shares, the company's stock value dropped 16%. If Martha had kept her shares, she would have lost around $45,000 according to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The problem was that she did it the day before the company announced an FDA ruling about one of its cancer drugs, which was the Herbitux, how the FDA was not going to approve the drug and therefore it would send the price of I'm Clone stock plummeting. She never faced criminal insider trading for, uh, charges for the sale, although she later paid $195,000 to several civil charges with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Her criminal case revolved around charges that she lied to authorities during an investigation of that sale. So it wasn't the insider trading itself. It was lying basically under oath or, you know, during right. an investigation. So as a result of the charges against her, she lost her position as CEO of the company uh, that Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia and she returned to the firm but sold it in 2015 
for $355 million. Her st- which is crazy that, like, she's got hundreds of millions of dollars, yet here she is, like, potentially trying to save herself 45000 That's the thing with rich people is that, like, they're just so used to being rich that they're not used to losing. And I, I, I honestly wonder if she knew it at the time that what she was doing was illegal. Like you said, she worked in the stock exchange. Yeah. Uh, she works on Wall Street. She's a smart cookie. So she, but it's so crazy. Pretty sure she knew. She had hundreds of millions of dollars and was the CEO of this nearly like, you know, at the time, I'm sure like close to a billion dollar like empire, right? Why risk it for a $45,000 loss on an I'm clone stock? I wonder if it was more to save face because like the company was. But it's such a small amount. I'm sure she was diversified in her ownership of stocks. I don't think like it's it's not like she had millions of dollars and invested in this company. Yeah, that part doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It really doesn't make sense to me. Her stake in the company was worth uh, nearly half at that moment. She remains its chief creative officer. So, I mean, at least 200 million of that or so was hers. Following the news that Martha had conveniently dropped her shares right before the big drop, the media scrutinized whether she had received insider knowledge. Though she was asked on air to respond to an insider trading allegation, she chose to remain silent. This only fueled speculation. In June of 2003, a 41-page indictment charged Stewart with securities fraud, obstruction of justice, conspiracy, and making false statements to prosecutors and the FBI. She pleaded innocent to all charges and stepped down as the CEO of her empire. In February of 2004, a judge dismissed the securities fraud charge, but a jury found her guilty of conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and two counts of making false statements. Stewart was sentenced to five months in prison and five months of home confinement in addition to being fined $30,000 and given two years probation. She could have received up to 16 years in prison. Stewart requested to serve her time immediately and was sent to the minimum security facility in West Virginia known as Camp Cupcake. Sounds Um, brutal. Yeah. She actually wanted to be in a couple other prisons that she wasn't given the option to, one of which was FCI Danbury. And that doesn't sound familiar to me, but people might know it from Piper Kerman, who is the inspiration for Orange is the New Black. That is the the kind of cupcake jail that she served time in. And that was Martha's first choice. And she said that she wanted to be there because her elderly mother could come and visit her because I guess she lived nearby. But people thought this would be a media storm because I think Piper Kerman maybe was still there when Martha. It, it was just kind of a celebrity jail. And Isn't so, it nice that rich people get to choose where they well, go? Well, she didn't. So she that was her first choice. And then they stuck her in West Virginia. She wanted to be in Florida. I really doubt if we got in trouble for something like this, they would give us a choice yeah. and that we would probably... Or that they would care about our safety. the whole 16 years. Probably, since. yeah. So in October of 2004, Martha began her sentence and later she stated that she forged strong connections with the other women at prison. And in March of 2005, she was released. How strong, like, scissor strong? <laughs> Despite fears that Stewart's legal battle might devastate her empire, Martha Stewart living on the media stock 
actually climbed dramatically during her incarceration with values quadrupling uh, by the time of her 2005 release. Quadrupling? Yeah. Thanks, Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely had something to do with it. She ended up doing like a show with him after she got out too. So Stewart was released uh, like I So after she was released, Martha announced that she would host two new shows, a daytime talk and how-to show that was a spinoff of the reality show The Apprentice. Yeah, how to make prison wine. Produced by Mark Burnett and Donald Trump. Because The Apprentice was Donald Trump's show. It absolutely was. And she was friends with Donald Trump. Stewart finished her sentence by serving five months of house arrest at her home in Bedford, New York. I believe I read somewhere it was a 173-acre property. That sounds rough. Yeah, Camp Cupcake. And she was allowed to leave for 48 hours a week to go to work. It almost sounds like a Jeffrey Epstein deal. Yeah, it's like when Epstein was in jail. He yeah. got to just go into jail whenever he felt like it, when he was but this is in house between arrest. diddling. This, this is a house arrest. So... While Stewart's version of The Apprentice failed to attract enough viewers to keep it going, her self-titled syndicate, her self-titled syndicated daytime program has been on air since 2005, and I believe it still is. The company she established, which was, again, Martha Stewart Living Omni Media, continued to grow, and the business added several non-Stewart publications, uh, including Everyday Food, Everyday Food and Body and Soul. Uh, Stewart continues to be a television presence, including being a judge on shows like Chopped, Bakeaway Camp, and others. And speaking of Donald Trump, in 2018, he commented to reporters that he was thinking of pardoning Martha Stewart, but I don't believe that has happened to this day. And maybe that'll be one of his last acts as president is uh, making sure that Martha Stewart doesn't have a dirty record. But honestly, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, fuck Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. We got to make sure Martha, because Martha's his buddy, you know. In 2013, Stewart found herself in a courtroom once again. Her company was engaged in a lawsuit with the department store chain Macy's over a contract dispute. Macy's sued Stewart and its retail rival JCPenney over Stewart's plan to open a Martha Stewart brand boutique inside of Penny's stores, but the case was eventually settled. So that is kind of like the end of Martha Stewart's legal stuff. But I did find one thing on her website, which I really want you to take to heart. It is, yes. You want me to take it? I think everyone should take this to heart because this is coming from Martha Stewart. All right. All right, everybody, get your pen and paper out. (laughs) So these are Martha's keys to success. Written the year she came out of prison. <laughs> yeah. Don't get caught. <laughs> so end. this is what she wrote on her website. These are the words of advice I share time and time again. And for more, you can pick up, I'm assuming it's a book called Martha's Rules, which again, published in 2005, which is the year she was released from prison. Number one, build your success on something you love. That's a good rule. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these aren't bad rules. That's why I I stuck them in here because I thought, you know, we all need a little life advice from time to time. You know, even if it's coming from a fucking convict. It sounds like she came out on top of this. Oh, absolutely. She's more successful with it than without it, which is pretty fucking amazing. She got the Valedictorian in Camp Cupcake. 
Did you say valedictorian? Yeah. Valedictorian. Whatever. <laughs> Number two, focus your attention on the basic things that people need and want. Number three, create a business plan that allows you to stay true to your big idea and focus on the details. Then be flexible to change as it grows. Number four, teach so you can learn. I like that one. Wow. Yeah, she's deep. Number five, use smart, cost-effective promotional techniques. Number six, strive for quality in every decision, every day. Number seven, build an A-team. <laughs> like the A-team? I know. With Mr. Was Mr. T on the A-team? Yeah. So <laughs> that'd be funny if Mr. T like helped out with herself. <laughs> Number eight, so the pie isn't perfect, cut it into wedges. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it basically means like if your whole pie doesn't look great, then fuck it up and make it look great. Like, cut out the imperfections, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Number nine, take risks, not chances. I don't know what that means either. I don't either. That one I was stumped on. And then number 10, make it beautiful. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> I like how that one you really had to think about for a moment there. <laughs> So we can really learn. I'm not even joking. We actually can maybe learn a lot about Martha Stewart. I feel like one thing that both was maybe in her favor and not in her favor, which I, I found it difficult to find anywhere where she really commented on her prison stint. You know, like I, I, I sometimes I think that that's a mistake. Like when you make a mistake and you don't comment on it, I think people see that as inauthentic or like, you know, trying to dodge certain bullets or whatever, but she hasn't been super public or vocal about her prison stint. Maybe she is like on her show with like Snoop Dogg or something or like on her shows, which I don't watch anymore. But from what I could find on, in print or like online is that she doesn't comment in, on it very much. And so like, again, I think we could learn a lot from her is just like roll with the punches and don't comment. <laughs> yeah, just don't get caught when you do your dirt. And when you do... Be quiet. Make it beautiful. She wasn't a snitch. I don't think she took down people with her. I think she fucking took it like a man. I mean, <laughs> she gave I think it she like took a man. it. She took it like a Martha. I think you're right. That's it for now. Thanks for listening this week. You can join our Facebook group, The True Crime Dumpster. Follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, truecrimedumpster.com. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Podbean. <laughs> Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next week as we keep talking out the trash. Bye. Goodbye to make Christmas cookies than Snoop Dogg and you wanted us to make green colored brownies. How come yeah. green? Green is environmental and it's... <laughs> <laughs>